Hi everyone, I am Toby Hedden and I'm joined here by Jake Palmer and this is the latest in a series of podcasts which accompany our annual brands and designs and copyright reviews of the year publications. In this particular podcast, Jake and I will be talking a little bit about Brexit and its impact on some of the core intellectual property rights. So Jake, perhaps start us off by providing a bit of context and tell us how Brexit's affected the legal landscape generally. Yeah, thanks Toby and hi everyone. So as we know, the UK left the EU on the 31st of January 2020. From this point, the UK entered into a transition period in which EU law continued to apply to the UK and new CJU decisions were binding. This transition period ended on the 31st of December, which served as a sort of snapshot that meant all EU law up to that date was retained into UK law. This means that developments in EU law, such as new legislation or case law from January the 1st of this year will not bind the UK. So that's a really brief overview. Uh, I'll now pass back over to you, Toby, to start us off on the impact of Brexit on IP rights specifically. Thanks, Jake. Yeah. So I thought we'd start off with one of the relatively easy ones, which is copyright. Um, I think the headline point um, here is that there's been no significant or immediate change to copyright law in the UK, but there are nevertheless, I think, a few things worth mentioning. Um, notably, the UK is not implementing the relatively new EU copyright directive. Now, there's a lot we could probably say about this directive, which has been quite controversial. But one thing that struck me is that it means that the UK won't be adopting the text and data mining exception from the directive, which is actually likely to be an important exception for businesses who collate data for use in training artificial intelligence systems. Um, we do actually already have a text and data mining exception in the UK, but it, it's very narrow. So I think this is something that the UK will need to think carefully about, um, particularly if uh, as a nation we want to foster the development of AI um, and AI systems and also, you know, a data sharing economy, which um, is another area of focus um, within the EU at the moment. Um, what else? Well, perhaps something else which will be interesting to follow is the extent to which UK courts are willing to chart their own path away from EU case law, um, including the retained law that you mentioned, Jake. And I think a good example of that is the Cofamil case. Now, this is a case where the Court of Justice found that copyright subsisted in an item of clothing, and that did not fall neatly within the UK's traditional closed list of copyright protectable works. Um, I think we've already seen uh, post-Brexit one case where the Court of Appeal, uh, the tuning case, they declined to depart from EU case law. Um, that was perhaps not surprising on those facts, and I think any departure would require a pretty compelling set of facts to do that. So that's really a, a little bit about copyright. Um, Jake, perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about database rights. Cheers, Toby. Uh, yeah, so so first thing says there won't be any notable changes to copyright in databases. Uh, the sui generis database right, on the other hand, will look quite different. Uh, again, in the interest of minimising the disruption, all sui generis rights already subsisting by the end of the transition period will continue to be recognised in the UK and the EEA. Uh, the difference is going to be for those creating databases from the start of 2021. Uh, for these databases, the sui generis right will only be available in the UK for UK citizens, residents and businesses uh, once the legislation has been amended for this. Uh, 
for those same groups, the sui generis right will not be available in the EU. So database owners will have to consider other ways to protect their databases there, uh, such as contractual terms uh, governing the use of those databases. Uh, and uh, another point worth mentioning here, and one that the UK will need to keep a close eye on, is the EU Commission's current consultation uh, on a new data act and amended rules on the legal protection of databases. This, uh, this consultation will consider the extent to which the existing database directive presents an impediment to the use of machine generated data and the access to and use of that data in the wider data economy. So there could be some changes on the horizon which the UK will, will want to consider there. Uh, so, so that should cover copyright and database rights. Uh, how about trademarks, Toby? Yeah, we're cantering through this, aren't we, Jake? Um, <laughs> tra trademarks is, is a topic which we could spend an absolute age talking about in detail. But I think the headline point for the purposes of this podcast is that the UK has just sought to plug any gaps in trademark protection arising as a result of its departure from the EU. Um, just as an example of that, owners of EU trademarks were automatically granted equivalent UK trademarks at the end of the transition period, just to ensure that the owners of them continued to have the same level of protection uh, geographically after Brexit as they'd had before Brexit. Um, this is, I appreciate, a very rudimentary explanation. It doesn't really account for some of the effects that we, I think, as trademark lawyers are going to have to continue to be mindful of. Um, you know, the aforesaid um, automatically granted equivalent UK trademark, which seeks to plug the gap. Um, you know, it may not be open to an owner to claim a reputation, um, for example, under Section 10.3 of the Trademarks Act, if the underlying EU trademark from which that sprung was never actually used in the UK. Um, these sorts of issues going to likely continue to present themselves, I think, particularly in litigation. Um, and I'm sure much the same can probably be said of, of design rights, Jake, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, firstly, the position for designs is, is similar to trademarks in that, it, again, it's a, a gap plugging exercise to, to maintain stability. Uh, the, the problem with this for designs is that we're now in a position where we could have up to eight rights protecting one design at a given time. And it'll be interesting to see if the UK decides to get rid of rid of any of these rights in the longer run, um, or if it keeps them. Uh, in the shorter run, the the new regime has got people wondering how designers should best disclose their designs for for the maximum geographic protection. Uh, so, so the background to this is essentially that the UK has mirrored the EU's unregistered community design. Uh, with its new supplementary unregistered design right, which obviously applies to the UK only. Uh, what's interesting is that it, it seems that the designs first marketed in the UK will no longer qualify for unregistered community to design protection. Uh, and, and similarly, designs first marketed in the EU27 will not qualify for the UK's unregistered design rights. Uh, so, so what all that means is, in theory, designers will need to decide whether to have unregistered design protection in the EU or in the UK. Now, a possible solution to this is some sort of simultaneous disclosure uh, of the design in both the UK and the EU in an attempt to get both those rights, both those sets of rights. Uh, at, at the moment, it's not 
clear how this would be done and, and it's not been tested in the courts but but some designers are taking the route of posting the designs online or emailing uh, dif different people based in different countries or uh, streaming disclosures of, of that design online. Uh, so yeah, I think that's all the rights we wanted to go over. Uh, Toby, do you have any final thoughts on what we should generally be looking out for? Well, I just think that's a really good example of the, the conundrums that we're going to face as lawyers. Uh, these things always come out in the wash, which is, you know, often when there's a dispute. Um, but from a personal perspective, I'm really interested to see the extent to which the UK courts are willing to depart from EU law. I mean, as I said above, in the tuning case, the first sign uh, of their approach is that it's going to be one of caution. Um, and in some ways, it seems to me that an, an international economy, where you're a participant in an international economy, such as the UK is, we might be better served by maintaining our alignment with the EU. But I guess over time, we could see points of difference emerging. Yeah. And as a final point from me, uh, I think it's also worth keeping an eye on what the government decides to do in relation to exhaustion of IP rights. Uh, at, at the moment, we've got an asymmetric regime in place, uh, which means that the UK, on the one hand, is going to continue to recognise regional exhaustion of the EEA. So this means that the rights of goods that have been placed with consent on the market in the EU27 will be considered exhausted in the UK too. Uh, so a, a rights holder could not then prevent these being parallel imported into the UK from the EU27. Uh, it's asymmetric because the EU, on the other hand, will not consider rights uh, in goods placed on the UK market to be exhausted. Therefore, they can prevent parallel imports into the EU from the UK. And, and this is definitely something to keep an eye on. In fact, the government have opened a consultation that will close at the end of August uh, on the future regime of exhaustion of IP rights. Yeah, exhaustion of rights, it's a bit of a monster, I think, isn't it? Um, the consultation, Jake, that you mentioned also includes some really thorny questions around the interaction between exhaustion of rights on the one hand and the Northern Ireland Protocol. Um, and I think the current uncertainty around the future of exhaustion is really a challenge for many businesses. Um, and we're seeing clients ask us lots of questions about this all the time. And they're questions that we can't necessarily answer, I think, until the UK has sort of clarified its trading relationship with both the EU and, and other countries, because I think the exhaustion regime will have a close nexus to that trading regime. Well, I think that probably concludes our discussion for today, doesn't it? Um, I think it was necessarily brief as a snapshot, but hopefully it was informative. And I'd just like to thank everyone for listening. And remember that you can access our brands, designs and copyright reviews of the year publications on our website at bristos.com, where we discuss these matters in a bit more detail. Thanks very much. Thanks, everyone.